Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Coming to you live from the Verified Lounge, it is the latest episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Welcome, Sam. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I am wearing my embroidered uh, smoking jacket with my name yep. on it, yep. which I, I, not my name on it, my Twitter handle on it, mind you. At Sam Dykstra, MILB. Yes. Check mark embroidered into it. Yes, which they're velvet. They're lovely. If if nobody ever thought I was me and I was a fake account, now we know that that can't. That's not possible. Twitter has verified me that I'm actually myself. Which I don't. You know, I don't put too much of my self worth into my social media presence. But when you get that blue check mark, you're just like, oh man! I tweeted out at the GIF this morning. Like, felt like Pinocchio just waking up and saying, I'm a real boy. Like that's just basically what Twitter has bestowed upon me. They're like my uh, Geppetto in that way, where they're just like, here you go. Here's the gift of of being real, and we acknowledge that you actually exist in the world and you're not some fake account that actually tweets out real baseball news um, with real links to real stories that actually right. happen in the world. You would be the the most narrow niche fake account yeah if you were here's this thing i wrote but i might not be real so don't read it it's like oh i guess that's yeah it'd be a little odd can't say Um, that now i i got verified uh like two and a half years ago still have no idea how or why um and the one of the best things that comes from being verified is the amount of people who will be very annoyed that you are verified and they are not um as some listeners of this show know i have another podcast where i talk about the colorado rockies for some reason because i i like being in pain for my whole life as a sports fan and well not this week i gotta take the i gotta take that off this week it's been a good week but uh my co-host for that show anthony masterson i know it drives him up the wall that i'm verified on twitter um, and that's pretty fun. Like it's, I, I will not lie to you. It's quite fun to be able to hold, like, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care, but it's very entertaining to hold it over people who get annoyed by it. Well, <laughs> so Anthony, have, he does fun. have an Emmy. Does he not? He does. Yeah. He, uh, as a member of, uh, the Fox sports staff for, uh, MLB whip around whip around, uh, they've won a couple Emmys and, uh, for some reason they give Anthony one of those statues. So apparently anybody can get one and, uh, it doesn't really mean anything. Anything, so anybody can get one of those. Anybody can get verified if you just try hard enough. I guess heaven's easier to get into than Arizona State. Uh, so welcome in to this week's episode where we'll quote obscure Simpsons episodes and uh, we'll talk to the newly verified on Twitter, Sam Dykstra. He is in New York City. My name is Tyler Mon, and uh, we'll get started on this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. Episode number 198 
cannot believe it uh but we are getting close to uh, our trips to spring training i figured out timing wise that i don't believe i am going i'm not going to be in spring training for episode 200 i thought i was turns out i'll be there for 201 well that's okay about it yeah it's all right well that that just means you know we'll we'll open 200 in a very very cool way and then we'll continue it in a, you know, the next 100 will continue in a very cool way. Instead of just having like one spring training spectacular that we have every year, we'll have Literally, two of them. When you think about it, it will be the 200, 200th anniversary of our first episode. That's true. That's <laughs> 200th episode anniversary of our first anyway whatever uh you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you love this banter if you like the way things are going so far in the first few minutes of this podcast give us a five-star rating see and uh you can get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com sam now on twitter with the check mark next to his name is the sam dykstra milb i am at tyler mon and we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show spring training games are underway and uh the early part of the major league spring training calendar we get to see a whole lot of minor league prospects and we already have some guys who are making some pretty big splashes in the uh beginning to spring fernando tatis jr Second-ranked prospect in all of baseball. He hit his first spring training homer yesterday. Uh, I saw Joey Bart, top-ranked prospect in the San Francisco Giants organization. He just homered today. Sam, who is standing out spring training-wise for you so far? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple names out there because it's been really cool to watch. And this is the first week, and you know we're not going to pour too much into look at so and so. They're on for track for a great season because they did well in, in one outing here and there. But uh, for a lot of these guys, this is their first chance to show themselves in major league camp. Never mind just in 2019. Um, so a couple guys that kind of stood out to me so far uh, got to watch a little bit of Chris Paddock start the other day for the San Diego Padres. Uh, speaking of which, you know first major league outing in spring training camp um he talked about how his legs felt you know wicked heavy in in the bullpen and then came out and it was like a normal start and if you got to watch chris paddock at all last year uh and his breakout year and what we ended up calling him the the top starting pitcher gave him the milby award for that he looked exactly the same thing uh austin hedges afterwards called called it like the easiest game he's ever had to catch uh, Chris Paddock was hitting his spots. He, he I think he blew it by uh, Orlando Arcia, I think, as, as the first batter. Three fastballs strike out that easy. Um, you know, was throwing his plus-plus changeup. Um, that might be the best changeup in all of minor league baseball. Uh, you know, Hedges was setting up on the outside corner, hitting the spots there, painting like he did. Uh, the guy has really good control but more than that he has really really good command uh anytime a, a catcher sets up he's going to hit that spot and that's what he did uh saw a lo- little bit of Forrest whitley start um he struck out three didn't give up any hits didn't give up any walks in two innings um you know hit paddock is, right now is kind of a two-pitch pitcher but allows that to play up because of his control whitley can kind of throw the kitchen sink at you he's going to have so many different pitches which is varied up especially well with good control as well. The command's not quite the same as it is with Paddock, but um, to see him be basically perfect in, in his first outing was really, really cool. Uh, on the hitting side, I've been watching Nick Senzel a little bit. Uh, he had a three-hit day today on Thursday. Um, the, the Reds keep saying the right things about him potentially being the opening day center fielder. A lot to watch in center field. By all indications, he's passing the early tests. Again, it's only one week. Not going to declare him the next Ken Griffey Jr. in center field uh, after one week. But it sounds like he's doing well out there. And, again, three hits today. 
showing up with a bat the way we all expected him to do. Um, so, you know, if the Reds are serious about really going for it this year and, and intending on, uh, you know, letting the, the 25 best players be on the opening day roster, Nick Senzel is looking like a guy who is willing to play his way there and not get sent back to AAA Louisville. We'll have to keep watching that. But there was one really good interview, I think it was with C. Trent Rosencrantz of The Athletic, uh, in which, you know, he asked Nick Senzel, you know, do you think you will be on the opening day roster? And he said no because of the service time issue in which, you know, if he's down in the minor leagues for a couple extra weeks, uh, they buy another year of control essentially uh, for him. And he's kind of prepared for that, seeing what the Blue Jays are saying about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the White Sox about Eloy Jimenez. He knows what he's up against. But that's not going to stop him from having a really good spring and trying to push the issue. So he's doing that early. Uh, Michael Chavis, the Red Sox system, the number, uh, I think he's in the back half of the top 100. Um, You know, coming off last year, he missed most of the season uh, because with a PED suspension, kind of a lost year in many ways for him. Um, But he's already hit three home runs for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Definitely not competing for a major league spot. You know, they have Raphael Devers at third base. They're going to try him out a little bit at second base. He's played the corners before. Uh, Where does he fit into that infield is going to be a big question. But maybe they have an opening at second base. You know, Dustin Pedroia. You know, Lord knows has is has had knee issues the last couple of years. Uh, Eduardo Nunez is kind of filled in there. Brock Holt is filled in there. If Javis can show, you know, plus plus power or even just plus power, maybe he can kind of elbow his way in. Uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on that. But to show up in the way he has is essentially what he has to do uh, to worm his way in there. Um, so really cool to see from him. Uh, Nate Lowe hit a home run today to right center that I think they estimated when it stopped rolling. I should say that first. When it actually stopped rolling was at 567 feet. Uh, in the air, it was about 450, which is crazy in itself, but it like hit the roof in right center in Port Charlotte and just kept going, which is really cool. Um, somebody who's got you know plus power, he showed that last year, hitting 25-plus home runs across three levels. Uh, Rays have a crowded infield as it is right now. Uh, they would love to see him work his way into first base. He keeps hitting bombs like that. That's that's not going to be an issue. Um, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., as you mentioned, he hit a home run. Uh, it was really neat to see. Cabrian Hayes hit a walk-off grand slam. Uh, these prospects are showing up early in this first week. It's it. If you thought, you know, they're young, they're going to be wide-eyed, they're not going to know how this is going to work, uh, that has not happened early. Uh, we'll have to see what happens once the sample size obviously expands and a little bit more video or, or you know, whatever the uh, adrenaline kind of wears off some of these guys, but there are some really hot starts in this first week and it's made the first week of grapefruit league and cactus league action. Really, really fun to watch from our end. And uh, it's only going to get better as we get into the anxiety ridden stretches of spring training. When you think like, is this guy going to make my favorite team or not? Um, So you all have that to look forward to as well, but there are some drawbacks to the early point of spring training strike two this week. Uh, Some injuries already out there. Josh James, the Houston Astros, Victor, Victor Mesa of the Miami Marlins, Mike Soroka, the Atlanta Braves already out of action for various periods of time. Uh, Sam, give us a rundown on these. Yeah. So I, I, you know, the thing about these is once we start playing baseball, you know, we say it every year, Injuries are going to come. Uh, guys are ramping it up. They're starting to do a little bit more activity. These things are going to happen. We follow so many prospects as it is that injuries are going to happen 
Um, it's not a widespread issue yet. These are three names. Uh, unfortunately, they're all top 100 guys, and it's unfortunate to see. I don't think any of them are worrisome from the, for the long term, but each of them do come with their own worries, if that makes sense. Uh, Mike Soroka last week, I think it was, or earlier this week, uh, it was announced that you know he was suffering some shoulder issues, and for a guy who had shoulder issues going back last year, that's why he missed a ton of time after making the Braves' major league team. Um, that was worrisome. Then news broke yesterday that he was going to start throwing his throwing program again today. So at least he's picking back up on that. Uh, it sounds like something he hurt in the weight room, then started doing some side sessions. It picked back up again. Didn't tell the Braves about it initially. Then when he realized it came up in throwing, said like, hey, listen, this is something we should ease up on. Uh, again, nothing really structural or overall long-term worrisome. Um, but, you know, with Soroka, we're going to be watching his shoulders super closely uh, again after he missed most of the second half last year. Uh, and to have that carry into the spring is something we're going to have to keep an, a close eye on. Victor Victor Mesa, uh, this is his first spring training ever, obviously signed with the Marlins last year. Um, he's going to be a big piece of their rebuild. Uh, they, you know, He's, I think, after Sixto Sanchez, those are the, their only two top 100 prospects right now. If they want this to work, they're going to need guys like this to hit or you know, bloom in, into major league contributors. Uh, he, unfortunately, suffered a hamstring strain um, you know, in a spring training game, kind of pulled up Lamb going to first base. So he's been moved back to Meyer League camp. He's going to rehab there. Uh, again, you know, this is somebody who hadn't played baseball in a long time, at least on a competitive field after he had left Cuba. Um, so this was a chance for him to get back into the swing of things and, and see live pitching and be in a competitive atmosphere and be in, a, a, no, not a huge stadium, but, you know, spring training stadium with people around and, and get back in that environment. Um, so to see him back, move back to the backfield is kind of unfortunate. Again, not it doesn't seem like anything's going to be – you know, that big of a worry. Don Mattingly even said, we're going to make sure he is 100% and get him ready for the season and let him, then let him get out and play. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with him, but uh, I would have liked to have seen him get more Grapefruit League action and kind of see where he is compared to AAA, AA, Major League talent. Uh, unfortunately, we won't get to see that on the Grapefruit League stage, so that's kind of unfortunate for us. Uh, speaking of unfortunate, Josh James, it was announced today by the Astros, uh, he suffered a quad strain, um, so he is going to be out for a little bit. Um, again, nothing that's going to keep him from being on an opening day roster somewhere, but he was coming into the spring uh, potentially competing for the number five spot in the Houston rotation. Given what he did last year, uh, climbing two levels, you know, he played double A Corpus Christi, triple A Fresno, uh, was especially good at, at striking out batters because of a velocity uptick. Um, you know, carried that to the major league level, got called up in September, was used as a long man and a starter, then eventually made the ALCS roster. Obviously, Houston has big plans for Josh James, and and rightly so. I mean, he is now a top 100 prospect at number 62 overall, somebody who can hit the high 90s, even triple digits at times. Uh, they really wanted him to compete for that rotation spot. Sidelining him in this way is unfortunately taking him out of that competition. Uh, A.J. Hinch has said he could still compete for a bullpen role potentially, um, but he's just not going to be ramped up in the way that they would want their number five starter to be. Um, so maybe he still gets 
you know, two, three innings at, as a time, at a time as a bullpen guy. And then whoever gets that number five spot, whether it's Brad Peacock, whether it's Framber Valdez, uh, if they falter or if there's another injury, okay, James is already on the roster. You plug him back into that number five spot. No big worry. Uh, but when I did the steamer 600 series, he was somebody who was, uh, according to steamer going to be the second best rookie pitcher in baseball this year behind Chris Paddock. All of that is off statistical analysis and not scouting reports. So kind of keep that in mind, but that kind of shows you the level of excitement that was going into Josh James's uh, 2019 season. Uh, so to have this minor hiccup and, and take him out of the rotation race in that way is kind of sad and, and a bummer for us who, who want to see, you know, these prospects, uh, who have shown major league readiness get those major league chances. Um, but, you know, now he's in a different competition for the bullpen. Um, so hopefully he can get back on the field throwing quickly and, you know, back into great fruit league action, uh, you know, competing for that role and carving out a different type of role than maybe he envisioned when he started spring. And strike three. Yeah, strike three. We get to throw back to you, Tyler. Um, again, if I was good at this co-hosting stuff, I would have led right in. You're the you're the only co-host I want. <laughs> don't tell Anthony that. I apparently. do have another co-host of a different yeah. show. Don't Who, again, has won an Emmy, and I have not won any of these. Things. And I've um, made fun of him multiple times on this show for some reason. Somebody's going to rat me out. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, he's listening. I guess just in the way that we hope everybody is listening. <laughs> But um, no, strike three this week. Uh, We're continuing our farm system rankings. We're in the third week of this. Next week is going to be overall, and that's going to be it. That's going to tie the bow on our farm system rankings. But for now, uh, we did one that I kind of like. I think it's a little bit different than a lot of other places do it. We look at 21 and under talent. That's prospects who are going to be 21 years of age and below that. On opening day, that's the the date we have chosen uh, for 2019. We had three of our writers uh, help out on that. Michael Avalone, Andrew Batiforano, and our own Tyler Mon. It was a tri-line is what I called it, which I'm very proud of. It was pretty good. And the fact that we have one of the writers here on the podcast, I, I figured, Tyler, you should talk about that. So kind of take us through which of the systems we think have the best really young talent, not just overall talent, but young talent. Well, let me tell you, I don't know if anybody has has, uh, touched on this subject as of yet, but if you're a fan of the San Diego Padres, it seems like things are going in your direction when it comes to your minor league system. It's an an underrated line about the Padres right now, but it seems like uh, they did some things well. No? That all you're going to – okay. (laughs) Yes, I mean, yes, I agree. Um, no, Padres come in at number one, uh, obviously with a full 10% of the top 100 prospects in uh, in the minor leagues. And as noted, this story is for prospects who are 21 years old as of opening day or younger. So Fernando Tatis Jr. qualifies um, in that category, second-ranked overall prospect. But listen to the list behind him. Mackenzie Gore is the second-ranked prospect in that system. He's only 20 years old. Luis Arias, the uh, middle infielder who will be paired as a double play tandem with Fernando Tatis Jr., he's 21. Adrian Morahan, the left-handed pitcher, is 19 years old. He's a Padres number six. Arias is number four. Um, Of the other guys who are uh, really under the age of 21, there are so many in this Padres system 
that are top 100 guys you could list all the top prospects that are under 21 in every other system and combined it seems like it wouldn't even be as many as the Padres have just in that system alone Logan Allen Luis Patino Ryan Weathers uh outside the top 100 overall some names that were big names at one time and still have some shine on them and Josh Naylor and Anderson Espinosa Hudson Potts the guy we talked about a couple uh, last week actually in reference to the Manny Machado deal uh Xavier Edwards they're just so loaded with all talent but especially with that young talent um the Tampa Bay Rays though are right behind him and uh Wander Franco is the guy who leads that crowd he still won't be 18 for another four days uh well no I guess we're in the month of February another two days he'll be 18 on the first of the month the first of March um and last year at rookie advanced Princeton he OPSed over a thousand in 61 games at 17 years old in the Appalachian League. That's ridiculous. Jesus Sanchez, uh, Ronaldo Hernandez, Vidal Brujan, Lucius Fox. Those are some of the guys to keep an eye on in that Rays system. Um, and then it's the Atlanta Braves at number three. And the Braves, we've talked about how flush they are with pitching prospects. Mike Soroka, we just talked about a little while ago. But Ian Anderson, Bryce Wilson, Colby Allard, Joey Wentz. Um, those are just the guys on the pitching side. Christian Pache and Drew Waters on the position player side for the Braves. Toronto Blue Jays are at number four. And we had a discussion about how, just how high does Vlad bring you on his own. Um, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, top two prospects, both teenagers, um beyond that it's not quite as deep with the blue jays but those two guys are so good that we put them into the top five on basically those two alone um the minnesota twins are somewhat in that same category royce lewis and alex kirloff are 19 and 21 respectfully their two prospects uh those two guys i think alone carry that system into being a, a top five organization when it comes to this level of talent but bruce dargraderall is there blaine enlo is there um they've got some intriguing pieces beyond those two and i I think even though we'll be waiting on those two for a little while they might step in as the next tandem that you really look at as the most exciting in the minor leagues uh, the back half of the top 10 the washington nationals the houston astros los angeles dodgers the los angeles angels of anaheim and the cincinnati reds um the bottom organizations are ones that have experienced recent success the milwaukee brewers check in dead last at 30th um they've got a couple of interesting prospects tristan lutz the outfielder bryce terang the shortstop who were their uh, uh, first-round selections in the 2017 and 2018 Major League Baseball first-year player drafts, respectively. Where the Brewers' strengths are are with older prospects, guys who are above 21 years old, Keston Hura, Corey Ray, Zach Brown, those types of guys. The Boston Red Sox don't have a lot as far as young players go. Their most uh, intriguing talent might be shortstop Anthony Flores, um, who had his short his season cut short by injury last year. Uh, he signed with the Red Sox in 2017. I know at the time there were a lot of people who said he was really one of the most talented players on the international market. He just hasn't played a lot. Tristan Cassis, who was their first-round selection last year uh, in the draft, fantastic power really impressive offensive uh profile but only played uh two games in the gcl not even two full games um and then tore a ligament in his thumb while playing third base diving for a ball so he missed the rest of the season uh jay groom we haven't seen a whole lot out of jay groom as of late he had tommy john surgery last may didn't pitch at all um so the red sox are back there as well san francisco giants are 28th chicago cubs are 27th philadelphia phillies are 26th so 
kind of interesting when you look at these organizations and what a mix it is of, for the most part, really successful systems. Um, the Phillies, a successful system. They haven't had success at the major league level as of yet, but Cubs won a World Series uh, now just two years ago. Giants won three out of five World Series in the early part of the decade. Red Sox World Series champions. Brewers were within a win of the World Series last year. There's just not a lot young in those systems right now. So that kind of what, stand, what stands out uh, most among these groups. Yeah, and I think that's something that kind of carries into to, you know, when we do do our overall prospect rankings, um, you know, it, it's not anything anybody should be overly worried about right now. If your team's going to finish in the, the bottom five, uh, just because it's because your your organization has decided to spend prospect capital on major league talent. Uh, that's a that's a big thing. And when you do have major league success, that means you get a lower uh draft pick as well right and that's you know you're not going to be able to get the royce lewis's of the world necessarily uh in that way so um you know that's basically what we're looking at here is just because there's not a lot of young talent now it's not necessarily worrisome for the near future it could be for the long-term future um but if you're set up well with a core at the major league level and that's not something we are considering we're not considering major leaguers who are 21 and younger here uh then your organization should be fine so uh just kind of a funner funner a more fun way of looking at this than maybe just pitching maybe just hitting uh you know what is the long-term success of your organization going to be and there's a little bit of preview of you know overall for next week but also maybe the farm system rankings in the years to come once some of this older talent graduates is this what the uh, farm system rankings are going to look like this time next year you ought to compare and uh that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show we do have one cool foul ball to get to and that is an announcement today from the salem red sox who have announced that for the 2019 season they will be the first team in major or minor league baseball history to have an all female broadcast booth melanie newman last year the number two with the frisco rough riders the double a affiliate of the texas rangers in the texas league melanie's moving over to salem there she will join maybe the best named broadcaster in the minor league, Susie Cool. Uh, Susie's been in in uh, Salem for a little while, and so those two will be the first. Uh, all-female broadcast booth in the minor leagues. They will join just a handful of women in minor league baseball. Kirsten Carbach, who was fantastic. I got a chance to work with her last year at the Women's Baseball World Cup. Um, she's moved up from Clearwater, where she's been with the Threshers for the last few seasons. Uh, Kirsten's taken over with the uh, AA Reading Fight and Fills. Um, she was six seasons in Clearwater and now has moved up to Double A. Uh, Emma Tiedemann will be back with the Lexington Legends this year, her second season there. And Jill Guerin has been named the broadcaster of the Visalia Rawhide, their newest voice, uh, the Class A Advanced Affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, so this is really, really cool news. And just uh, maybe a little preview there may be a story coming to the site uh on this broadcast booth just a (laughs) suggestion it may happen um those two will actually not call a game together until april 23rd um melanie this is i don't intend this to sound as a humble brag but melanie's resume is the only resume that makes my resume look like i haven't done anything like i've moved around a ton and chased a bunch of weird jobs i work a bunch of weird jobs right now melanie were like melanie's the type of person i'm like are you human do you run on (laughs) batteries like how do you she does so much right now she accepted this job while she's in north carolina working the acc swimming championships on television like she does so much stuff um, yeah. And so 
that's I'm thrilled for her. Um, I don't know Susie Cool, but Susie, uh, the manager of marketing and promotion, she's also been the on-field host and color analyst on Select Broadcast last year. Um, those two will join forces on April 23rd which will be a road game uh, for the Salem Sox. They will be at Potomac, um, which is when the Fitz is your first broadcast stop together. It's kind of there's, – there's nowhere to go but up. So there's, <laughs> there's that excitement. Um, but uh, congratulations to those two. It's super cool stuff, super cool, the Salem Red Sox. And, uh, yeah, like I said, there may be a story on that coming to the site. Yeah, no, congrats awesome. to all of those guys for, uh, for their jobs, their, their promotions, which is really neat, new jobs. Um, yeah, I mean, Melanie's resume, it just kind of underlines like just how hard women have to work sometimes to, to stand out. But, um, you know, this is a job that's wholly earned, uh, on her part. And, you know, Red Sox system is always something that's followed very closely, even at a time like this, you know, even when, a when the farm system is kind of down a little bit, there's still people tuning in and trying to find out what's going on in Salem and at the lower levels. Um, so a really good opportunity for her and, you know, Lord knows we'll be listening in as we do with so many different broadcasts over the years. And, uh, yeah, really exciting to, to see her pair up with Susie and can't wait to see what they do together and hear what they do together. Do you imagine how neat it was to grow up with the name Susie cool? (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. I'm. Yeah. J- I don't have anything. There's nothing cool about my name. I don't get. I don't get good nicknames. There's not. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, so that'll wrap up three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to head to the Chicago Cubs organization and the second-ranked prospect there, Nico Horner, who joins the show from Mesa, Arizona, getting started with spring training. Nico Horner joins the show next. Chicago Cubs organization is where we find our guest for this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, a, uh, a top 100 prospect, number 100 overall and second ranked in the Cubs organization is shortstop Nico Horner. Nico, welcome to the show, man. What's going on? Not much. We just finished up today for our mini camp and I'm glad to be talking here. Well, awesome. So uh, from joining us from Mesa and, uh, and all uh, into the spring training routine, give us a, a rundown of what your first few days of all the organized stuff have been like. Yeah, we're just getting into baseball activity here, but um, we were actually here for the entire month of January as well, so I got to go home for about 10 days, and now we're just getting back into BP, throwing across the diamond, and some live ABs here recently, so definitely going well. You told us before we started recording, you guys actually did Instructional League in January, which I have never heard of. Normally, uh, it's an October thing. Prospects will get done with the the season in September and and go for a few weeks of instructs in October. But that's a really interesting change. Take me through um, what it was like for you guys. And um, has there been much discussion around the Cubs organization as to why January was the, the run, the trial run, I would assume, for this year? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference between January and October is that you're not playing games when you do it in January because the pitchers aren't built up for that yet. So from the scheduling standpoint, that's the biggest difference. But uh, I think the the overall point of it was just if you're going to be working with guys on things to improve on, they're probably going to retain it a little better if it's at the beginning of a season than right before they take three or four months off for the offseason. So um, I don't have anything to compare it to because it was my first offseason, but just the general energy around the camp was really good, and I think probably a better attention to detail overall than what you would have gotten in October. 
Well, tell us about uh, your experience. Take him with the, the 24th overall pick last year out of Stanford, the first instructs experience coming out of your first uh, minor league season. You only get 14 games in, so you get some needed um, time running into spring training um, in that January yeah. experience. What were you working on, especially at, at instructs? Uh, I think, well, to start more than any baseball skill in particular, it's a great chance to be at the complex and uh, to get the to get to know the whole staff. And then we had some pretty significant changes in our um, in the coaching in the minor leagues. So, uh, like getting to know the hitting coordinator, infield coordinator, all that to set up those relationships for the entire year. That's really valuable stuff. Yeah, and throughout this whole process, whether it's instructs or even you know this first taste of spring training, these couple weeks in now, what has been the most eye-opening experience? Because this time last year, you know, you were just starting games for Stanford. Now you're still yeah. <laughs> building up to a hundred plus games for a season. Um, what's been you know the most surprising aspect or most eye-opening? Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a crazy twelve months for me personally. But um, I think just figuring out what it is that's going to let me play at my best come, you know, August and September. I think lucky to be around some experienced people that have uh, definitely had to tell me to, to stop or to slow down or to, um, to really have the, the long term in mind. And uh, for me, a, a successful season this year would definitely be staying healthy for the entire year and getting 500 at bats to, to really develop as best I can, because I think that's the most important thing for me right now. Yeah, and you mentioned your health there. Um, you know, Tyler talked about you playing just a, a about a dozen games, fourteen games across three levels last year, um, because in part you, you strained your some ligaments in your elbow. Uh, what led to that injury, and what was it like coming back from it, and just the whole situation surrounding that? Given that you were ready to start your pro career, and then it comes to a, a pretty quick stop like that. Yeah, so obviously, just it was a weird injury. It wasn't something that was nagging over time. You know. It was, 100% healthy on one pitch, and then I dove for a ball up the middle at short, and then I was I was hurt. It was as simple as that. Uh, so uh, I missed the summer, and really the first time I've ever had a significant injury in any sport. Uh, so definitely different, but spending time here in the summer for rehab, got to know a lot of people in the organization, and then was lucky enough to be with the Cubs, and they trusted me uh, to go play in the fall league, even though I hadn't had that much experience. So ended up being um, a valuable experience overall and I feel like I'm in a good spot now because of it. Mm. And what was the rehab process like coming back from an injury like that? I mean, elbows we hear all the time with pitchers, you're coming back as a hitter. Uh, it, it was your left elbow, right? So it, it wasn't even oh, the yeah, one. Oh that's, yeah, that's important. Yeah, that's right. important to clarify. Right, um, so it's it's not even the one you're throwing with when you are playing the infield. Yeah. Um, what yeah, kind of... You see, you see, yeah, the no, UCL ligament definitely a lot a lot different in my in my left arm than my right arm as far as significance so really not not a scary injury just a just disappointing timing um i had about six weeks off of baseball activity and then we eased eased back into it for about another month and then i was i was playing in the fall so really not too much of a grueling process um so i was, I was fortunate on that end yeah, and you, and you mentioned the Fall League. Uh, one of the reasons why you are a top 100 prospect now is the way you were able to hit the ground running there. But uh, what was the, that discussion even like with the Cubs to say, like, hey, we're going to put you in the Fall League? Was it a choice that they gave you? Was it just an assignment? Because, again, you, you played a full spring at Stanford. You were basically playing baseball for 10 months last year. Um, you know, what was the conversation like saying, like, hey, 
uh, yeah, you're coming off the injury. We want you to make up the at-bats in this league that's supposed to be an advanced league for kind of like a prospect graduating school. Um, you know, what was it like going into that experience, never mind performing like you did? Yeah, I remember uh, Jaron Madison calling me just when because they actually let me go home for three weeks uh, right after I got hurt. And uh, he said, yeah, we can get you through this rehab and uh, you're going to play in the fall league. Uh, I was like, oh, awesome. That's great. And he said, yeah, and you'll be a priority guy playing as much as we can get you in there, playing short and second and just make the most of it, uh, enjoy it and build that into the next season. And I think that, that kind of mindset and freedom really helped me not only uh, develop as best I can, but uh, but to perform a little bit as well. So they went the the mindset of development definitely went hand in hand with performing well, and that's something I'll definitely take into this next year as well. Nico, I heard uh, a story that you got one game of action at third base. Is that right in the AFL? <laughs> yeah. About four innings. <laughs> okay, so this is the story uh, from from what I heard, and I, I can't take any credit for it, even in the podcasting world, because it was on the MLB Pipeline podcast. They talked about um, Nico gets one game at third base. It's the uh, the Fall Stars game, the Rising Stars game in the Arizona Fall League, and the first ball that you are tasked with fielding is a line drive from Vlad Guerrero that came off of his bat at like 113 miles an hour. Is that all correct? Uh, that's the general distance. Yeah. So I was, I was lucky enough to get voted into the fall, fall stars game and, uh, replaced Bobby Dahlbeck at third. Hadn't played third probably since I was like 13, 14, but it was awesome. Awesome experience. But anyways, yeah, I get in there and, uh, first batter of course is pretty well known prospect. (laughs) Junior. I'm on the, I'm on the back edge of the grass, of course, getting my space and he hits a ball that I thought I might, like instantly thought I might have a chance at, but it was 117 off the bat and ended up hitting the left field wall in the air. So uh, definitely, and I reach, but um, that was definitely a, a loud welcoming to to the position in that game. Uh, so that that game in general was a really great experience. So well done, both teams just having a lot of fun and kind of celebrating basically the end of a, of, a, of a long season for a lot of those guys. So that was really special to be a part of. Which is really cool about that that showcase event, and it gets a, a great turnout, and there's uh, you know great fan engagement and all that, and you do kind of get that that last send off into the off season. Um, but being to being able to move around a little bit positionally is obviously something that you've done a little bit um, so far. You know, not just as a, a professional, but prior to that in, in college and high school and elsewhere, um, playing over at third, even though it was limited experience, and playing at second. In addition to your natural position at short, how comfortable are you moving around the diamond and being able? When you're not being asked to field 117 mile an hour line drives, how comfortable are you elsewhere? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm very comfortable. I mean, you're, you'd be crazy as a member of the Cubs minor league system to think you'll only play one position in your right. life if you ever watch a big league game. So um, I think that's that's definitely something I'll take take pride on in my career. I'm gonna um, really own my time at short and and make the most of that and play there for as long as I can and as much as I can, but. Um, I have no pride or no uh, no issue with uh, going to second, third, to left, to center, wherever it may be. I think I can play a lot of different positions, and um, I definitely don't want that to be the reason I don't move up. So I think that can be a strength of mine. And you touched on something that's kind of interesting to me there. The Cubs took you last year in the first round, 24th overall. How much did you know about the Cubs coming in, obviously – a very successful organization the last couple of years, but 
how much did you see like wonder right away how you were going to fit into that organization, what you were going to have to do to climb quickly? I mean, what kind of reputation did they have the second you heard your name called on draft night? Yeah, I remember hearing my name called and uh, the, the instant graphic they showed was the, the recent um, position players they had drafted in the first round. Um, and several of them had, had been college position players as well. And that's a pretty specific specific player that they've um, drafted and then had success with. So I knew from the start that I was going to be in good hands and that I could really trust the, the people that were you know, making the decisions for me. And that takes takes a lot of pressure off a, as a player because um, I'm in a fortunate position where, uh, you know, if I am healthy and I do play really well, or if I do go about my own business, I'm in an organization I think that will will take care of the rest. So you don't have to play GM too much in your head, I don't think. Um, we'll see how, how that pans out for a whole season. I don't know, but that's that's kind of the nice part of it is it's I can focus on my development and know that the rest will be taken care of. And one thing that stood out so far in your young Cubs career, whether it be at the AFL or the couple of games you played last year, is you just make – a ton of contact. Uh, you only struck out four times in 49 at bats last year in the minors. I think you struck out only 12 or twice in your last 12 games in the AFL. I mean, it's easy to say like, just make contact, put the ball in play and you'll be okay. But you take that to another degree. Uh, what do you do offensively to make sure that you are putting the ball in play as much as you can, especially in today's game when there is such an emphasis on max swings, don't worry about strikeouts, get as much as you can out of contact when you do make contact you're kind of a different player in that way how do you you know build a profile like you have that is so strikeout light yeah I think that that started from a pretty young age because when I was you know 9 10 11 oftentimes I would I'd play with kids that were older than me and so I wasn't really uh, physically dominant <laughs> with those guys uh, so definitely had to learn to produce in other ways and for me that for me that meant um putting the ball in play and so and that continued all the way through high school and um into my early years in college as well where I was in a program that definitely emphasized contact a lot um but with that with that being said I know that uh, my profile as a player can expand a lot farther than just that but that that's something that I will always take pride on and hopefully will be at the heart of what I do as I build on it yeah, and you mentioned changing from what you were as a college player. Uh, Stanford players kind of have this, uh, I don't know if it's legacy or whatever you want to call it with a Stanford swing, but you hit 349 your last year as a junior um, trying to carry that. I mean, you'd like to hit 349 everywhere, um, but what are you able to do or what have you seen out of pro ball so far that you've identified as areas of growth and what you can build on what you did so well in, in college and make it work in the pros? Yeah, I mean, something I definitely took pride on in college a lot was was progress from one year to the next. And um, I didn't play like I can or like I'd want to my, my first year and second year and even my third year in a lot of ways. But each year was, was a building block for the next, and hopefully that continues into this season. I think there's just a lot about pro ball that um, that will make – not make hitting easier, but I think will play to some of my strengths just in, in playing every day and you're only playing baseball and um you know there's a lot more power pitchers and i, I think that gets the best out of me as a hitter um, rather than facing guys who are, who are kind of zone 85 and mixing and matching that you see a lot in college so um we'll see i mean i people always ask what are the minor leagues like and i 
I say I can I can give my honest answer, but at the end of the day, I've, I've played 14 games, and the fall league's kind of its own thing. So um, I really have a lot of things left left unanswered, but um, I'm just going to control what I can moving forward. Nico, let's talk a little bit about uh, your college time uh, playing at. Uh, a program with a legacy, like Sam said, at Stanford. Uh, the Pac-12 has been kind of knocked in basketball and football as of late, but on the baseball side, there are still some really, really amazing programs out there. I know right now, I think in the latest top 25, UCLA is a top 10 program. Stanford's a top 10 program. And you get all these rivalries. Oregon State won a couple of national championships uh, last decade. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously with what USC has produced in its time, Arizona State in its time. Pac-12 baseball is – a, a legit beast when you got a chance to go there especially being a california kid um just take us through what it was like being in a conference where every team you go see you're going to be seeing those guys the professional ranks in the years to come and the rivalries are so great the atmospheres are great what was it like being part of a, a program like that yeah it was really special i think i mean going through the recruiting process it's pretty it was pretty much the whole pack um it was only packed 12 schools i was really talking to and <laughs> it was a really hard it was a really good, tough decision to have to make just for that reason that every school really would have honestly been a great opportunity. Um, one one part that was great about the Pac-12 is I ended up having a lot of friends from high school that, that stayed in the Pac-12. And so every weekend you're seeing someone you, you know well from growing up. And that definitely added to a comfort level early on and just and to the fun of the competition as well. But like you said, there's, there's a lot of strength in the Pac-12. And it's not the the, I think – the strengths of the Pac-12 right now are different than what it's been in the past. Like I think the names that stand out the most are actually power, power hitting position players, which is uh, a little different than, than in the past. I mean, you look at um, Andrew Vaughn and Torkelson and um, those are some pretty, pretty special guys that they're producing as well as a bunch of other names. So uh, it'll be a really fun year to follow. I still keep in touch with my guys back in school and um, they're going to have a great team as well this year. So it'll be a lot of fun. One of the things that I loved on your Stanford bio page, there's a, a note that says that you volunteered at an orphanage in Peru um, along with the Alameda Food Bank and the St. Vincent de Paul Community Center. And when you get into pro ball, you kind of have these opportunities to do um, things in the community that are, you know, somewhat team-sponsored or uh, or team-oriented, but also you can take on causes on your own. Have you thought about the things that, you know, especially now as a, a first-round pick and a guy who signed and got a bonus coming out of school, have you thought about the, the causes that you want to work with? And what was the, the experience like, especially with this orphanage in Peru that sounds like a pretty amazing thing yeah so that that's been brought up a lot and for me and it was awesome but it was only like a one week thing so I, I don't want to hype that up too much it's something that was like a big part of my life but definitely something yeah, it's I a did. week more really than cool. a lot of people will do yeah. <laughs> give yourself some yeah, no, that was that was <laughs> yeah that was really special I got to do that uh through my high school with my Spanish class so that was that was great and um, but yeah that's a big question that I'm, I'm still trying to to answer because I didn't have that much of an off season this year but um, moving forward I know that working with with kids in general is something that means a lot to me whether it's in sports or education and something that the Cubs have done and I've continued with is um, through the Children's Hospital here in uh, Phoenix Um, it's really simple just to go over and hang out with kids and that's about as easy as it gets I know Anthony easy and meaningful I mean Anthony Rizzo has has set a really good um, example of that with with his foundation and i think when you, you talk about role models in baseball uh, anyone who's making a difference like that definitely stands out um, so i think uh, I, the area back home for me in oakland is is a really special place and hopefully i'll be staying there next off season um, and i'll definitely look forward to to finding some meaning outside of baseball 
All right, Nico, we'll, we'll end on two kind of fun place-based questions. Uh, the first one, you know, you, you talked a little bit about Oakland there and, and your high school. Uh, as somebody who grew up in the Bay Area, specifically in Oakland, what was your team growing up? Were you a Giants guy or were you strictly hometown with the A's? Uh, I was definitely an A's fan. <laughs> All right, there Which you was go. Definitely hard, definitely hard at times. Uh, I can definitely play with your play with your heart a little bit as you get get really fond of players, um, and, and they're not around there for too long. <laughs> right. But, was it? Was there anybody uh, in particular you looked up to growing up? Were you like a Miguel Tejada fan? Uh, you young fan? I love I mean, Miguel Tejada. I remember uh, the the exit from my house coming off of um, off of eight eighty was uh, a big. Uh, it was a ad for a gas station it said gas food tejada and there was a picture of them dining <laughs> in the that was uh that was one of my favorites uh, that's but, awesome oh, but the a's have had a lot of well, A's have had a lot of great players over the last couple decades i remember with donald donaldson and cespedes that was a really fun group got to there go to a couple of those playoff games against the tigers and um yeah so i hope the a's come through with the new stadium um that would really be special to see happen and in my hometown but i'll believe it when i see it <laughs> yeah i think i think a lot of people in that area are saying that right now all right so we'll end on this one then you are now a chicago prospect not fully been a chicago prospect for a year so we'll, we'll throw that out there before i ask this first have you had a deep dish pizza yet <laughs> i have had deep dish pizza chicago style but i imagine that that does not live up to the the, the expectations of a the legitimate Chicago deep dish pizza. So are you saying you've I'll been to like a pizzeria at Uno's or something? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There's, I mean, there's places <laughs> in, back home that are Chicago style deep dish pizza, you know, but that's a different thing. So I'll definitely say I have not had Chicago deep dish pizza until I've, I've actually been there and done. That's, it, so. that's probably the safe thing to say until, until it's happened. One of, one of, yeah. <laughs> one of many things to look forward to in Chicago, hopefully. I mean, that's okay. You haven't had it because it's not pizza. It's a casserole. Nico Horner is the second-ranked prospect in the Chicago Cubs organization who you can find on Twitter at Nico underscore Horner. H-O-E-R-N-E-R is his last name. Nico, thanks so much for the time, and uh, congrats on all success so far, and enjoy uh, spring training and the starts of the season wherever it finds you. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Promo schedules continue rolling out, and uh, minor league baseball opening night continues to approach. And Benjamin Hill joins the show to discuss the business of baseball. Hi, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left. Hi, Ben. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Let's get started. Uh, we're going to kick things off with the Altoona Curve, um, who uh, announced a thing on Twitter uh, that – their general manager and assistant general manager, Derek Martin, or as we used to call him in the biz, D-Mart, and Nate Bowen will be living in an RV uh, this week at People's Natural Gas Field for the next five nights until tickets go on sale, which is going to be your story this week, Ben. Um, what What's going on here? Well, you know, this is a... Uh I don't want to say a common sort of minor league thing, but it is a recurring minor league thing um, of team executives camping out in the ballpark for some you know amount of time. Uh, you know whether it's a press box or in the case of the curve uh, in an RV, which I think is the new one. But the general thing is you try to engage, especially with local media, say, "Hey, we're living at the ballpark. You know, come pay attention to us." And it's a good way to just draw attention to a team before the season when you're trying to get attention. So, um, well, you're always trying to get attention if you're a minor league team, but especially um, with the season coming. 
So the timing with this is that the Curve, um, on Saturday they're having Curve Fest, and that's when uh, single-game tickets go on sale. So that's a ballpark event. So uh, Derek and Nate, the GM and AGM, respectively, um, got in their heads to uh, live in an RV all week leading up to Curve Fest. You know why? I mean, because they can. Um you know, Mountain RVs is a local RV sponsor of theirs, so they got the RV donated. I mean, not, you know, for good donated. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they, they got a, a free RV to live in for the week and, uh, you know, trying to get some attention with it, especially, you know, locally to, to drum up um, – to drum up uh, excitement for the tickets going on sale. And I talked to both those guys today. They were in the trailer or in the RV together. So it's kind of a funny group interview as they're hanging out in the RV. And it was interesting, you know, they were just saying things like, you know, this is Nate's first year as a assistant general manager. And he was just kind of saying, uh, he and Derek were saying, you know, like we need to be on the same page as, um, you know, a leadership team. So, you know, while this is goofy and we're having fun with it, you know, it's a good way to also get to know each other maybe in ways we wouldn't by like, you know, living together. And uh, so they're not leaving the premises of the ballpark for uh, the entire, so five nights, six days. Um, you know, if they to use the bathroom, you got to go into the stadium or if it's at night, maybe just find the quiet place in the parking lot, you know, men. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said they have a team signed bat for security in case anyone tries to a like team a, a team signed bat. Yeah, <laughs> they're willing to crack over somebody's <laughs> head. Cabrian Hayes's autograph is on there, but that doesn't mean anything. In case right. But they, yeah. So don't try to break into their trailer. You know, any you know, burglars listening to this. Um, they've got a team signed bat. Um, that kind of getting a uh, food delivered by local sponsors, you know, local restaurant partners every day. So it's a good way to tie that into the partners. You know, Derek Martin, the GM, you know, has a wife and three kids who are like age like seven, five, and two or something along oh, those sure. lines. I'm sure she's thrilled about this. <laughs> yeah, he said he's like, oh, my wife's a saint. She gets it. Uh, <laughs> but then he was like, yeah, but I know there's going to be repayment for this in some way, shape, or form that is probably not known yet. But you know, shout out to his wife. Her name is Abby. Um, We're your all husband is you, living Abby. in an RV with a coworker <laughs> while you are working full time as a teacher and um, oh, and uh, getting your three young children out the door every day or whatever you have to do, while uh, your husband and his and one of his coworkers are uh, hanging out and getting food delivered in an RV. It's pretty cool. It's something. <laughs> Retrib- if it was just the two year old, I think there would be retribution in in line. But so, what did they actually like? What are they doing to bond while they're in there? Is it just like the fact of cohabitation? Well, I think that in and of itself, I guess Derek, he's the GM. So he's, you know, the big man on the totem pole. He gets the uh, the actual bedroom while Nate is on a pullout couch in the RV. Um, you know, they don't have a TV, but they said they were watching like sports videos. They had some coworkers come over uh, last night, which would be uh, Tuesday night, and uh, played Texas Hold'em for a little while. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And they're probably having some real heart to heart talks too. So, um, it's funny, you know what, now that we're having this conversation, let's, um, do show before the show in an RV. We'll live together in an RV for the week oh, God. and record segments and do interviews and, um, slowly go crazy. This will be great. I won't go crazy. I will love each moment. I mean, Tyler, you kind of already done this with Josh in Arizona. Um, I'm, I'm going to be busy that week. Just so you guys are aware. Uh, but yeah, we Josh haven't even and I, said which week it's going to be. <laughs> I just, I'm just going to be busy that week. Josh <laughs> and I have shared. Uh, we have, we have shared close quarters. But the thing is, like, we're doing stuff out during the day, and when you come back to like a stationary thing that's not an RV, I feel like you think you have your own space. It feels like you have your own space. An RV is just like, 
even if there's walls between you, there are not really walls between you. You're still... And for everybody's sake, God, I hope they're not visiting Texas hot dogs in Altoona before they hang out in this RV together because that... I <laughs> My thoughts are with both of you. Um, so no <laughs> is what I'm saying. I will not be doing that. But if we all like went on a road trip, we, maybe we could do that. I think that's our version of it is just going on the road yeah, and driving that, around and that would be forcing bad. each other to listen to each other's music for hours at a time or podcast choices, as it were. I think that would be our, the stationary aspect is the worrisome thing about it for me. I think it's a learning, growing, bonding, and ultimately loving and empathetic experience we should definitely share. So you would be that person in the RV, uh, and then there would be Tyler and I in separate corners. <laughs> Not wanting the nightmare to continue. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sure we'd all have fun with it. Altoona, by the way, also announced one of the best uh, early uh, front runners uh, on the uh, the best bobblehead of 2019 uh race which is they are doing a uh a newman and kramer bobblehead with uh not newman and kramer but with the pittsburgh pirates version of newman and kramer uh who played aside each other uh both named kevin kevin newman and kevin kramer who played aside each other in uh in altoona and now have climbed all the way toward pittsburgh both ranked prospects and they've got a newman and kramer newman and kramer themed <laughs> bobblehead with those two guys heads on top of the seinfeld characters body so a pretty good one newman really gets the stiff on that one i would say yeah that's true that is true poor kevin newman he has to be he has to be wayne knight for a moment um which by the way the new jersey devils did a, a david putty bobblehead last week i think i need to make it a new mission to just come up with every seinfeld related bobblehead in sports now i'm gonna try to acquire somehow if only i knew a devil's fan who could have gone to a game but who knows a devil's fan outside of our editor darren um let's uh <laughs> let's continue west michigan ben um a fan food vote is on tap for west michigan we're starting to get toward that time of the promotional calendar release thing as well where kind of get through the actual promo calendar release and then you start to get into the granular elements of it um the white caps are having fans vote on a food item one of which is deep fried jelly beans um they have one called marge's donut sunday tidal wave which is uh coated in fruity pebbles and rolled in cotton candy twinkie the pig which appears to be a deep fried twinkie wrapped in bacon and unicorn popcorn which is some mix of popcorn and cotton candy and a whole bunch of other stuff um this is it's very they're very heavy on the sugar with these options yeah you know okay that was my takeaway here i mean first of all the white caps have been you know making food news in the minor leagues for essentially the entire time i've been on this beat and they've been doing it just this way um you know step one getting fan suggestions step two then unrolling 10 uh finalists you know that they've actually made that they actually have determined they could serve at the ballpark yeah this isn't concept art yeah, they, 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 all of these things exist, and one of the ten will be, um, you know, on the menu in 2019. And they've been doing this every year for over a decade. Uh, the one that got the most attention way back when was the Fifth Third Burger. You know, it was such a simpler time, but if you recall, the Fifth Third Burger in like 2008 or so just became this like massive viral thing, and it does seem like a simpler time, doesn't it? Like this big hamburger, people were going nuts, and I feel like these days a big hamburger, people would be like, ah. Oh, like, so okay. what else is on it? Yeah, what else? Yeah, like what else you got? And um, but it's interesting. This is my you know my feelings, and I don't have hard evidence to back this up, but just based on my observations as, as a man who lives in this world every day, um, 
one, teams are not doing the oversized grotesqueries nearly as much as they yeah, used to. That does sound um, like it's kind of passed by. I think that phase is over. I think, you know, it got attention, but it didn't really translate to ballpark sales much at all. And I think teams just kind of decided it wasn't worth it. And maybe like the public just got a little burned out on that. In general, too, I don't think food is just in general getting as much attention. Of course, food will always get attention. And of course, ballpark food is something fans are always going to be excited about and have as one of their main reasons for going to a ball game or something they really enjoy about it. But I mean, ballpark food's not getting attention in the same way it used to in terms of teams introducing new or crazy or weird stuff and just getting attention, not just the oversized things. But um, it that's just my guess. I, I don't see it as, as big a... Uh, a thing as it used to be in terms of the the attention it gets. But that said, food will always get some level of attention, and we're talking about the Whitecaps now. Um, but yeah, Tyler, like you mentioned, there's a lot of sweet stuff on the on these ten finalists, and I do feel like teams uh, might be moving away from, you know, the big oversized meat heavy items. Not that a lot of these don't have meat, but um, towards more sweet stuff and kind of that being a new way to kind of. Uh, separate yourself from the pack. And and, I, and I'm sure teams noticed uh, when the Erie Seawolves did that uh, cotton candy hot dog last year. I mean, it was disgusting, but it got tons and tons of attention because it was something new. We're always looking for something new. And now we hear, have the white caps with deep fried jelly beans and with these, uh, you know, fruity pebble coated ice cream rolled like a burrito and cotton candy and that sort of stuff. That's not my kind of thing. I'm a savory man, not a sweet man. Same but here. You know, it's whatever floats your boat. Well, kind of along those lines, like there are two things on here that I would legitimately order. I mean, and I think that's kind of kind of should be the goal is something that's not going to be like, oh, it's going to grab your attention, but not going to sell. Like you said, like the Oinkarito, which is just pork topped with bacon and cheddar mac and cheese and then rolled into a flour tortilla. It just sounds like really good. Like I like all of those things or that or there's the Rocky Bal Burrito, which is basically just a Philly cheesesteak that they then deep fry. Like I would have one of those easily. Right. And I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if it's going to win this contest, but well, you can vote. Actually, you so can vote. for. I it. can vote. And I don't know which one of those two I'm going to vote for. Uh, I'll have to figure that out later. But uh, I, like if I was a team, that's what I would go for. It's like, what are people actually going to order? Not just what looks cool on this page. And then one person at a game will get it. Right, absolutely. There are business decisions here, but this one's up to the people. Um, Sam, you, you're a at times a pretty serious guy. You always uh, look at me in the office and roll your eyes and can't believe I said something stupid. Yeah. So I'm just saying that to, to, to observe that I can't imagine you – anywhere but in minor league ballpark and just being like i'll have the oinkarito please. of course i'll get the i feel like that's beneath your dignity that is not whatsoever beneath my dignity okay sam having Dexter. something that's pork with bacon and cheddar mac and cheese like that's literally what i had last saturday for dinner but was it it was not called an oinkarito no it wasn't it wasn't wrapped in a tortilla <laughs> in this way that's what i'm saying i want to like this is when i go to barbecue places i get the pulled pork and i get mac and cheese on the side and this is all of that together, which is fantastic. And it's called an oinkarito. And it's called an oinkarito. I don't care what it's called. <laughs> I've ordered weird things, none of which are coming to mind right now, but I'll think of them for next week. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Um, there was also an announcement today on the tweets from the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, who will take the field as the Binghamton Stud Muffins on June 14th at 7.05, which is kind of one of those uh, what-might-have-been nights. That was one of the names in the running when they renamed their franchise. It is a, an extremely brandiose logo in which there's um, a flexing muffin coming out of the the muffin paper um the the word mark is very lehigh valley iron pigs to me it's stud muffins but it's got like the iron rivets in it 
which I find interesting. Um, but this is something that's really – I don't even – that's been a while that teams have been doing these um, what might have been kind of nights, which I love. I think they're great to explore the, the alternate world identities. Stud Muffins is probably the weirdest of the ones that were out there for Binghamton. Yeah, and I think, you know, the rivets in the stud muffin lettering, you know, are some form of stud, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I'm no uh, hardware buff. but I don't um, remember the the reasoning behind this name because Brandios ties all of the, the wacky name suggestions either strongly or loosely to the location where the team is. I don't remember what stud muffins was. There's a I don't remember connection. it. I don't remember the actual explanation. Um, Sam is Googling right now. We might find it. But um, obviously this was one that got a lot of attention when there was the when there was a uh, Name the Team contest. And, um, you know, what could have been nights? They've been going strong for a decade now. And, uh, you know, an interesting thing about them is, you know, when teams announce their finalists, usually with the company they're working on a logo with, which in recent years often has been Brandios, usually Brandios or whatever the company, the logo design company is, is sketching out concepts for every single one of the finalists. So when you do what could have been night, you probably already have pre-existing logos that were made just during the brainstorming process that, um, you know, just need to be tweaked a little bit. Probably the work in a lot of cases has already been done. Um, now Sam has found the answer here to, uh, the stud muffin uh, rationale, why why it wasn't the name, t- name the team contest. While tip and this is quote, while tipping a cap to the players on the field, the stud muffins celebrate the collection of carousel horses belonging to Binghamtonians. So the whole reason they went with rumble ponies was to celebrate yeah, the, wasn't the that carousel the same thing. Yeah, so the uh, it, the pun here is on stud again. Yes. Um, so this logo, what you say is probably true about usually it's just recycled logos that they developed anyways. I don't think this plays into that whatsoever. I feel like this was developed specifically for this because they can't just do another horse thing. You're right. So they're they trying can't do to do a horse muffin. Yeah, you wouldn't want that for many muffin. reasons. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like they had to develop something different for this one because if they were the actual stud muffins first go around, that there's your carousel pun. Uh, <laughs> it would have. I'm sure it would have been something with like a, a horse looking like a muffin or a muffin. I don't know. Two. Yeah, who knows what could have been. What could have been. I don't think this is it, though. I think this is just like, hey, remember this from a couple of years ago. Yeah, and you know, and Tim Tebow played with Binghamton last year. You know, he'll probably be in, I guess, uh, Las Vegas this year. Triple A, Syracuse, or Syracuse. Excuse me, yeah, Triple A, uh, Syracuse. But who knows? What if he's a member of Binghamton once again on June fourteenth? Because um, the internet will love if Tim Tebow is a stud love muffin. Him. Yeah, they'll love it. <laughs> that is true. Um, the uh, listed on the email is BTS update, but I don't even know what that acronym is. <laughs> BTS is actually a backronym. It's the Korean um. The K-pop oh right, 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 right. The K-pop thing. I was yeah. thinking BTS of it as the, as the army. I forgot yeah. the the acronym before. Right, right. Yeah, BTS so army. We- yeah, I'm sorry. We, we talked about BTS earlier, and uh, I don't have too much to say, really. Um, if you heard the podcast, was it last week we were talking about, or two yeah. weeks ago? Um, you know, the Chattanooga Lookouts put out a billboard celebrating the birthday of one of BTS's members. The tweet blew up hugely. Even me quote tweeting the tweet and saying I didn't know what it was about led to a huge response to my tweet. I then um, wrote a uh, blog post that came out last Friday, um, kind of explaining 
what I learned after tweeting B- tweeting BTS and um, you know putting the whole kind of saga together to the extent I knew it. It got another great response by the BTS army, and uh, I'd encourage you to read that blog post to read uh, to learn about BTS. And I'm very curious about other teams who might celebrate BTS. There's another member's birthday coming up in uh, March. That's a Suga um, is in March. And I hope some teams decide to celebrate Suga's birthday. It was J-Hope whose birthday was last month um, or earlier this month. And um, what I've learned, and I've said this before, but it was uh, just reinforced with this blog, is the BTS army are just full of love and support, kindness and empathy. They're like an alternate internet where everyone tries to understand where the other person is come from, coming from and just like be loving and supportive and explain uh, what they they know that can help that other person. So I've been welcomed to the BTS Army fold, and um, I, I'm just like really taken with the whole thing. It's like a better world is possible, and the BTS Army is showing us the way. They are playing at Giant Stadium on May 18th, and I really want to go to that show. Um, I also want to see Guided by Voices that night, so I'm probably the only person in America who's deciding whether to see BTS or Guided by Voices, but these are my problems. Um, anyway, check out the blog. And uh, join the BTS Army, or at least uh, if you're BTS Army curious, look into it because it's a really interesting world. And I'm glad that the Chattanooga Lookouts have opened up that world to me a little bit. It, it feels awful that I forgot the acronym, but I feel like they're the most forgiving people possible in the circumstances. They, they are so, not. Okay. I can guarantee you, Tyler, they are not I'm mad. Sorry. They are I'm not sorry, mad everybody. at you, and, they, and you don't have to apologize. And they are very happy to explain to you what BTS is. Okay, good, good. Sorry, Jan and Sam. I also jumped in and cut you off. No, I, I was. <laughs> Just going to say, like, it, it, even if we don't get people to listen to BTS, because I still haven't heard a song of theirs, at least adopt their internet persona that Ben was talking about. Like, just going through the mentions of this, and it, like, every tweet starts with, thank you for writing this, is just fascinating. And, I'm not saying, you know, we should be thanked for writing or anything like that, but just the idea of when you see something and you like it, expressing that as your first go to instead of, hey, this is awful. Uh, is really telling in today's internet it, and, and it, really fascinating. It is. It's such a breath of fresh air. You know, I had people who, I had one woman who responded and said, I love when journalists write about BTS, like in a process of learning about BTS. And she sent like five links of other people like me who who wrote about BTS after being like, wow, this is a crazy phenomenon. I had people send me their favorite story, their favorite songs and explain why. One was about the loneliest whale in the world. It was a big side. I liked Aww. that. Yeah, I like that song. Um, you know, there were people who, uh, you know, asked earnest questions based upon my writing. There were people who said they were baseball fans, and this is like the best crossover they can imagine, BTS and uh, and, and baseball, and minor league baseball specifically. Um, so, you know, if you're a minor league baseball team, celebrate BTS, man. Those fans are intense, and they are nationwide, and it's not might not sell out the park, but you're going to bring some fans and they are going to tweet about it and you are going to get your name out there guaranteed uh, within an atmosphere cocooned with uh, love and kindness and just a mutual um, support for Korea's number one boy band. I like it. I like it. Um, and as we discussed in our opening segment, um, Sam joined the uh, the Verified Lounge today. Benjamin Hill also joined the Verified Lounge today. And uh, it's my pleasure to welcome both of you in. Uh, how does how does it feel today? We're going to celebrate verification celebration as it was laid out to me in the email. Yeah, Sam and I are we're getting steaks after this uh, podcast taping. Yes, yeah. these smoking jackets are very comfortable. Yeah. There's a steakhouse right across the street from uh, 
what will soon not be, but still is the home of MILB.com. You can, you could just have them walk. I think they have to walk them over if they know you're verified. They have to hand yeah. deliver them. They cut them and feed them to you. Yeah. I mean, the, the world is ours now. I joined Twitter in 2009 and my whole career, my whole full-time career has been encompassed in the 10 years. And for whatever reason, it took until today. Sam was the one who broke the news and I tried to keep my emotions in check, but I need a little time alone to just process uh, this new era of my life I'm in and to think about all the moments that led up to me finally being legitimized in the eyes of, uh, of Twitter and, and therefore uh, everyone who knows me through Twitter. I'm finally real. I'm finally verified. And um, I'm finally ready to be the best Ben's biz I can be now that I have that blue check mark. So thank you very much. 2019, big things coming, that means. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter with the uh, – the check mark next to his name at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, Ben, we'll do it again next week. Thanks, man. I look forward to it. We're all verified. It's amazing. We should just never let unverified people on this show again. No, that's not. That's not. It's a very <laughs> small window. And, <laughs> and that's not the Fine, BTS Sam. Way. Yeah. There are low-level prospects that I want to talk to in the future who oh, may yeah, not be verified. Right. Right. Never forget the little guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. <laughs> you had like six opportunities or when you edit this you have like six different places you're like <laughs> where i, I can get cut it, there, it off or there or there or there or here or here, or here. <laughs> yeah cut it there i might i cut might here, do right it this. right there right there now. i might do it right here <laughs> saying goodbye from the verified lounge they're bringing in the cigars and the uh and the bourbon uh the scotch the uh whichever you'd like really whatever you'd like it's it's all here yeah it's all here in the verified lounge um it is not in fact no. it makes you think why is so much of my self-worth tied into the fact that this terrible website decided <laughs> to give me a check mark but hey um you know it's a it's a it's a cross that we bear now uh sam dykstra is on twitter at sam dykstra milb you can find him there benjamin hill is at ben's biz uh, I am a Tyler Mon, and um, what's the what's the mood like around the offices these days? We're getting into the like slowly waking up from the offseason. We're starting to do the um, Cactus League and Grapefruit League roundups every day, where we write up uh, what top prospects have done. Uh, what I've never been around, I have never worked in the office. What's it like when we start getting to this stage of the year? I mean, it, it's just fun to get like the feature ideas the the uh, juice is flowing on those um you know there's so much more when it's like games are actually happening and instead of like what are you going to be doing in spring we talk so much more about something you're seeing in spring training or you know a guy like nick senzel playing center field like now it's no longer what are the reds going to do with him we actually have answers okay what how does that pivot our coverage you know what should we be doing on stuff like that that stuff i get really excited about um, just having new things to talk about is energizing in its own way. Uh, I hope that comes across in the podcast, but, um, you know, just the, the mood here is it, it's fun to have, you know, we're a sports office. Obviously we have many TVs. It's just nice to look up and see baseball on the TV, uh, every day at this point. That is true. And just that be a, around that. Um, you know, it is winter in new york still here it, it was a high of like 26 degrees um so if we're not getting our vitamin d 
from the actual outside. It, at least we can get it from baseball being played somewhere uh, on our screens. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, things are a little bit bouncier here. They're, we're out of the doldrums of the offseason and starting to plan our opening night content this year, um, which is exciting. And, you know, I, I, you can feel the engine really picking up now around here. And um, happy Nolan Arnauto extension to all of you. <laughs> Did you say that into a mirror when you said that? <laughs> no, I know everyone wants to share my joys, and how dare you? Say <laughs> yourself, and then gave yourself a wink as you as you said that. I I, I know how you play. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mott. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Show Before the Show. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.